0: The so-length part of the house.
1: And coming to you today from the Linux Tower studios of FRM Solutions and the beautiful Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. This is Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, and today is Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019. And just ahead, we'll be joined right here in the studio by another luminary from the world of franchise leadership, Mike Isaacson. But first, my thanks again to last week's guest. Serial entrepreneur extraordinaire Ray Marciano, who shared so much with us last week about his multiple franchise brands and journeys. Ray has seen it all, and he's done even more. He was a great guest, and I've been proud to continue calling him a friend and peer for more than 20 years. Thanks again for taking the time to join us, Ray, and for sharing your pearls of wisdom with our audience right here on Franchise Today. Remember, you can download Ray's interview if you haven't already heard it along with hundreds and hundreds more at iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn, Stitcher, or any place where podcast libraries are found, or simply just go home and ask Alexa to play the latest version of Franchise Today podcast, and you can always hear the latest episode right there as well. So with all of that behind us, it's time now for the Soul Link front of the house, and today... I kick that off with some encouraging news coming out of the Department of Labor. Yes, the U.S. D.O.L. has finally issued its long-awaited new guidelines for determining when a restaurant franchisor can be held responsible for the labor policies and practices of franchisees. And the proposed new standard goes far beyond a simple redefinition of joint employer. Instead, the Department of Labor is calling for a four-point test to determine when franchisors and franchisees are joint employers. The two parties would be regarded as equally responsible for the illegal employment actions of a franchisee if the franchisor, A, has the power to hire or fire employees, B, supervisors and controls the employee's work schedules or work conditions, C, determines employees' pay rates or methods of payment, and D, determines the employee's employment records. Establishing a new definition of joint employer has been a quest of the franchise community since 2015 when the NLRB put forth a broadened definition that effectively held national chains liable for the labor practices of the franchisees. The board has taken a decidedly pro-labor stance during the administration of President Obama. Franchisors warned at the time that they would likely curb or seize franchising altogether if the new definition held, citing the greater liability they faced under those new rules and regulations. Any franchisee employee with a labor dispute would likely go after the deeper-pocketed franchisor, they warned, under the old rule. Through the proposal now on the table, the Department of Labor has the chance to undo one of the most harmful economic regulations from the past administration and replace it with a rule that creates certainty for America's America's 733,000 franchise businesses. This according to Matt Haller, Senior VP of Government Relations and Public Affairs for the IFA. Under standard rulemaking practice, the public will be invited to submit commerce to the DOL, comments to the DOL, about the four-part test. The department will then issue a final ruling, and the process should take about two months. Hopefully this will stick. This is the best news I've heard out of the DOL and government relations side of IFA for quite some time on this three and four years of, of pain that we've been put through with the NLRB. Very encouraging news. Also in the front of the house, Word reaches me of a serious misstep at this year's Unconference. No, I'm not talking about the usual hangovers or party too hardy. I'm talking about an actual misstep taken by Out of the Box Technologies co-founder and good friend Andy Abrams, who has done himself dirty. <laughs> I mean, literally, he's down for the count with an ACL replacement. He managed to tear both his left meniscus and MCL. Andy, I hope you're not down for too long. And until you are feeling better, I know it's only been a day or two since surgery, go easy on those opioids, my friend, and don't create another problem for yourself, but please get better and and work through the pain. And lastly, this week's front of the house would not be complete without a check-in on last week's multi-unit franchising conference out in Las Vegas, and my good friend Ryan Hicks, who co-produces Franchise Today with me, was there, and Ryan, you're here too, so why not pot up your mic? give us a thumbnail of the mood at this year's conference and share with us uh, what what you may have learned that lies ahead on the multi-unit franchising uh, platform here for the next year or so.
2: Absolutely, Stan. Uh, I'll also say sharp arms to our our brother-in-arms, Andrew Abrams. That sounds like a painful experience, but the uh, multi-unit conference was a really, really great experience this year for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the attendance, I think, I, I didn't double-check, but I'm pretty sure that it broke records. There were right around 1,500 folks there, and the content was really, really good from the keynotes with Chris Wallace. Um, he, as you may know, he's the host of uh, Fox News Sunday, award-winning journalist, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, But I heard that he did a uh, – I heard, I experienced that he did a really good job. And then John Tapper, I didn't get to sit in on that you keynote,
0: but it was really good.
2: And then the breakout sessions, everything from – adding new brands to the portfolio, to building culture, to exit strategies and succession planning, um, using technology for labor reduction and innovative um, ways to improve operations and funding and everything. The content is really, really stellar. And kudos to Therese and Gary and the folks at Franchise Update Media for putting on a really, really good conference. And I look forward to next year's.
1: Excellent news. And Ryan, we'll have Therese here in Atlanta next week for the Southeast Franchise Forum Luncheon, moderating a panel as well on multi-unit franchising. We're looking forward to that event here in Atlanta next week as well. And that, my friends, is the Solink front of the house. And you ask, who is Solink? Well, I'm here to tell you. Solink is a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, When I describe Solink, I suggest that they've done for loss prevention what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made those tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or a multi-unit empire, or you're the franchisor or an executive of a retail or restaurant brand, if unit-level economics is on your mind, you owe it to yourself and to the business to learn more about Solink. When deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front of the house as well as the back of the house, eliminating the need to review hours of tape to identify these exceptions. After their technology captures it all, it provides reports that actually direct your attention to the specific video clips of those exceptional transactions. This gives you full visibility into every action and transaction at every site from any device, and you do it all on demand. Solink utilizes your current point-of-sale and security camera systems, providing you with added value from those tools, so there is no additional camera or hardware purchase required to put Solink to work for you. As always, find out more about them online at solink.com. And now for today's guest interview, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Michael Isaacson. Mike is the retired president and COO of ServiceMaster Franchise Service Group, an international franchise services company where he had responsibility for the development and growth of more than 5,000 franchises worldwide with sales totaling more than $2 billion annually. As part of the $4 billion ServiceMaster company, Mike led Service Master Clean, Merry Maids, Furniture Medic, and AmeriSpec brands, specializing in residential and commercial cleaning services, disaster restoration, on site furniture repair, and home inspections. So, Mike, most everyone in this audience knows you from your days at Service Master, knows you from your leadership at IFA back in 07, 08. Is that about right? That's right as chairman of IFA. But Mike, I'm going to start today's podcast, interview the way we start them every week. I'm going to ask you to take us back and tell us before those glory days, what led you and your bride Ginny to franchising in the first place? How and when did that journey begin in Bismarck, North Dakota? And then we'll talk taking the tape forward as we carry forth and learn more about how you wound up at the head of the table.
3: Well, great, Stan. It's a privilege to be with you today and uh, have, have an opportunity to talk about franchising. It has been part of our lives for um, that's the only business model that we know. Wow. And uh, so, actually, franchising started in St. Cloud, Minnesota, uh, while I worked part time through high school oh. as a fire technician for a service master franchisee. And uh, Dave Teeson was his name, and Dave's still uh, a mentor and a great friend. But uh, I worked part-time from Dave or with Dave uh, doing fire cleanup uh, through high school and through college and uh, saw the character of that individual and saw the values that he portrayed and said, hey, this uh, this is exciting. I also saw the results and what he was able to build. Uh, then I uh, also had another friend that I knew, and I went to work for him for three years. Uh, he uh, ran a large trucking company and worked for the White Motor Corporation um, and sold uh, was involved in a, a parts department. And, uh, but then I came to the conclusion that I really needed to own my own business, and I talked to Dave Tyson uh, the service master guy in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and said, Dave, I want to go to work for you. And Dave said, no, you need to become a franchisee. So uh, my first job was uh, working for a franchisee, and then in 1977, Jenny and I made a decision, my wife Jenny, to uh, start our service master franchise in Bismarck, North Dakota. And so we moved out there and uh, started just Jenny and myself, and uh, we were fortunate over the next 13 years to build a, a good organization and become one of the top 10 franchises within service master. But Stan, what attracted me to service master was one, the, the opportunity to build a business with a limited capital base. I didn't have to, I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. I wasn't able to do that, but I was able to start that business with a low capital base and build it. And if you will uh, go out and sell, and produce to begin with, and uh, moving forward in, in, in that direction. So that's how we started, and um, it, it, it's
1: it's franchising has been part of our roots. So I went back as far as Bismarck in 1990. I had no idea, though, in high school that you were still – you were already engaged yes, then. Yes, yeah. So can you even think back that far, Mike, today, and reflect on the word franchise in that moment in time? Did you even know the word? Was franchising something that you were – even aware of?
3: Well, I I didn't know the word franchising, but I was able
1: to see when I
3: worked through high school and college the standards. Uh, Dave said this is the way we do it. This is the way we've trained. This is how we use this product. This is how we use this piece of equipment. So I saw a system and then I was also impressed at that time You know, 1960s seventies, all the manuals, uh, you know, it was all paper manuals. I was impressed with that, impressed with the system, so I saw that there was a track to run on. So and I saw his success. I said, Hey this
1: inspiring this is is pretty good. Right. I can do that. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. So how long did it take and and talk a little bit about the lift of learning to run a business and your early days as a franchisee being exposed to not just the business that you were in but having the power of the franchise over your shoulder helping to guide the journey?
3: Well, I think there's a couple factors in in that. One, I saw the values in the relationship and the respect that ServiceMaster had for me and the responsibility they had for me as a franchisee. I saw that personal commitment from the franchisor to be successful. They, they were willing to build a relationship and the franchisor was willing to be vulnerable for me to say, I need this help or you can help me. And they also held me accountable. So I think that's a piece of it. But I think also the, the, the opportunity to see that it's a people business. And I was able to really find great people to work with in our franchise business and go forward. The other piece that really made a difference is uh, I had a chance to become involved in the franchise advisory council. So, so as I was able to interact with corporate staff and develop those relationships, that's what really made me see that franchising was a powerful force. ServiceMaster respected me as a franchisee because they recognized that I put the capital into the business. I was at risk more than they were. So I think that's an
1: important part in the values of service master. So this is back in 19
3: what? 1977 till
1: 1990. I was a franchisee. And let's talk about some of the milestones that you experienced over that 13 years, because nobody, I think, gets into a small business expecting that, you know, it's going to be anything of an empire going along. But at some point as you're growing your business, you start to get some sense of, I can scale this thing, or I can build this to more than just me and my wife and what number of employees you may have started with. When did some of that start flowing for you? How far along were you when you started having those wake-up calls and those aha moments? This could be really big.
3: Well, I, I think it was the the moments where when I found the right people to come and join me, when I found the first... Production assistant, the first crew chief, the first office assistant, the first salesman—those were the aha moments that I I saw. Hey, I can stay. And at that time, we sold in a blazer and a tie, and uh, that I could stay in my blazer and tie and not have to change out of my sales uh, dress into production dress. And I started to see that I could leverage myself over. The sales and the leadership of the business, and develop production through the organization. So, and then the other piece was just uh, the the opportunity to build references by by satisfied customers. That customers were willing to say they do a good job. And again, for me, it's an awful lot about relationships because I had customers today that. Uh, or then that uh, I was a pallbearer at their wife's funeral, mm-hmm. I sang at their their uh, daughter's wedding. Those are the things that, that uh, by personally investing, really gave me an opportunity to say, hey, this has
1: legs. So you brought people on, and you started to have to not only manage the business, but now you're managing people. What kind of skills, might did you have to bring with you? What did you go to college for? What did you study?
3: Well, my, my degree was in industrial education, industrial arts. My dad and mom were both teachers, and I was going to be a teacher. But uh, I think, to me, it's about respect and empathy for the lady or the man that's cleaning that toilet or that is actually uh, taking care of a cleanup from a fire or doing maid service. It's... It's seeing that that person is a human being, that they have a soul and a heart, and they have a life, and not a unit of production. Now they need to perform, and I think that's that to me is is the key thing. And then also, uh, just that that each of those people are created in God's image, and that we have a responsibility to those folks to be responsible. I like what you talk about, sensible, you know that that. I have to be sensitive or had to be sensitive to those people because really when you boil it all down it's about the relationships you build with the employees or the the team members that you have and the customers that you have and if you have strong relationships where they know we're gonna we messed up every day we screwed up didn't do something right didn't empty a trash can didn't clean something well enough but if you had that relationship uh, that the customer trusted you, and the employee
1: trusted you, then you had great things that could happen. So fast forward the tape for us, Mike. And at some point, there was a pivot between you and your franchise and your territory that you were working in, and eyeballs looking toward a corporate life, perhaps, or was it the company that saw more in you, or were you looking for more from the relationship? How did that? Well, yeah, and
3: again, our second objective in ServiceMaster was, and those have been changed, but uh, was to help people develop. And so uh, I was at my desk one day, and the CEO of ServiceMaster called and said, uh, we'd like you to come to the home office and be a part of Mary Meads. And uh, I had no idea that I would have that opportunity. That was not on my radar screen, uh, but I had gotten to know and got known because I was on the Franchise Council and I chaired the Franchise Council. So I had a chance to meet these men and women and they had a chance to meet me. So I think I saw, I had confidence in them and they had confidence in me. So they gave me an opportunity and fortunately, and this sounds boastful, but fortunately, we built a good business that was transferable because so many entrepreneurs build businesses today that are not transferable right? because it's all about the person. Right, even well, to
1: the point where they put their own name on it. That's right?
3: exactly right. We were Service minister, and we were Merry
1: Maids, and
3: we followed the system so that my managers actually bought the business. And uh, so we were able to transfer that business and harvest. And we gained equity, we gained value because of that. So we were able to, in, in July of 1990, join the Merry Home Office and again found myself in a place that I was mentored by strong executives who cared for me as how I performed and also who I was and developed me as a human being, as a person.
1: What was the next stage of growth then? What came next?
3: Well, then for the next uh, four years, I had the opportunity to lead uh, five years the Merry Maids business, and then ServiceMaster had acquired that uh, a couple, three or four years earlier from Dallin Peterson, uh, who founded Merry Maids, and uh, so I had a chance to be in franchise sales or development, and uh, then was... And promoted. quite the
1: franchise salesman you were, as I've been well, told.
3: Yeah, uh, we, we enjoyed that. That was great. But again, he, helping men and women become franchisees uh, was, was always an important part. But I also felt that responsibility. You know, today and through the years, I had an opportunity to uh, speak before our franchisees and speak before many different groups. And I normally don't get nervous when I speak in front of a group, because I just want to talk about, you know, what I experienced. The only time I get nervous or got nervous was when I stood in front of new franchisees who had bet their egg money, if you will, bet, and I, I would stand up at our welcome gatherings and visit with them, and I'd get nervous because I'd look at those faces and say, I'm responsible with my team to make sure that each of you are successful in this room. And that made me nervous and because I had made a commitment, our company had made a commitment to those franchisees that we were going to support them. Now, sometimes we screwed up and sometimes the franchisees screwed up and we had to take action to deal with either one of those cases. But um, so that that first years at Mary Maids was great and then had an opportunity to move to Memphis and take on more of the responsibility of the service master brands.
1: Talk a bit about the culture of the brand and how much, you know, I I tell people in our audience all the time that your secret sauce, no matter what your concept is, may be unique and it may be great, but it's probably 50% or less of the success of your business. The culture of your business is every bit as important as whatever the product or the service is that you're bringing to market. Talk a little bit about how that, yeah. Service Master culture weaves into the fabric.
3: Yeah, and Stan, you know the the quote that we all hear so often that that culture eats strategy for lunch, which is exactly what mm-hmm. you just said. Service Master had, and we I'm a franchisee of Service Master Marymaids today, um, and I, we can talk a little bit about that. Repeat that. I am a franchisee today. Uh, I have 21 franchise agreements that. Have my signature on them, so I was a franchisee, I was a franchisor, and now I'm a franchisee. I'm writing royalty checks today. All right, uh, but uh, in our franchise organization, we follow these corporate objectives. They aren't part of Service Master today, uh, but when these four objectives were founded, were started in ServiceMaster in 1970. So, but we had four objectives: first, honor God and all that we do; secondly, to help people develop third to pursue excellence, and fourth to grow profitably. Now that first objective did not say that someone had to be a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist, but it said there was an absolute authority for the way we conducted ourselves and the way we conducted our business. And that set a cultural norm. The second norm was that we were responsible to develop people. Now that means that housekeeper that's cleaning 22 toilets every night in a in a building or cleaning up from a fire or that uh, Mary Maid's, uh Team member who's out vacuuming a home. I'm responsible to develop that person and I'm responsible to develop the team the executives that I work with and Uniquely I was responsible for the development of my boss So it's up and down which is very unique the third objective is to, to pursue excellence and you'll notice that the excellence pursuit does not talk about the customer. It certainly was a part of it, but more importantly, how we treated each other with excellence. And then the last one was to grow profitably. You know, you can't have sustained growth, which goes back to your theme, mm-hmm. sustainability. You can't have sustained growth without profit, and you can't have profit without growth. You can have spurts, right. but you can't get there. So that really defined the culture and as as I was privileged for 23 years to lead the franchise business, I actually would have franchisees hold me accountable to those objectives, and say, Mike, did you really help people develop, or you grew? because you focused on profit as opposed to those two sustainable pieces. So those cultures are very, very, were very, very
1: important as we built the, the business. Were those, were those cultures, were those part of the business from the very beginning and you said they're not in place or exactly the same today as they were then?
3: That's right. They, they were uh, as a part of ServiceMaster from the very beginning. ServiceMaster started uh, after World War II, Marion Wade, our founder, started cleaning carpets in Chicago moth proofing. Uh, wool carpets got eaten by moths. Uh, but uh, then as ServiceMaster was a publicly traded company, we had those objectives. And then uh, as we became a privately held company, we were purchased by Clayton Dubilier and Rice uh, about, I want to say, uh, I'm going to get some dates mixed up here, but he became a private company. And they elected to change those objectives, which is fine, and they do have a we do have a good set of, of norms today, but uh, certainly have changed a bit. but for many of us in Service master who have been there for a long time and Mary Maid's, uh, in merrymaids and Furniture medic and Amerispec, those objectives are still very important they 're important in our business, and as a franchisee the the 150 ladies that showed up today to clean homes in Iowa and uh, in in Arkansas and uh, Ohio, hopefully those ladies uh, saw those objectives at play. Now, we fail at them, <laughs> yeah, but, but they're, they're aspirational. Right.
1: We're going to talk some more about your growth years into the corporate world at Service Master when we come back from our break, and we're also going to talk then – about the IFA and when that journey in your life uh, caught up with you and and the road you've taken and have shared with others through your service to the IFA. We'll do all that right after a break.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communications to and from prospects and existing franchisees, including text messages. Legal and compliance is simplified as well with FRM's document management and even site visits, can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state of the art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old style virtual brochures, no long-term contracts required, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. Mike, it's a fascinating career and a fascinating journey that somebody starts working for a franchisee, becomes a franchisee, moves into corporate, and then takes on other brands and then actually ex- accelerates his growth and career into meeting a $4 billion company and being responsible for $2 billion of its revenue uh, across thousands of people and concepts and across the globe. And um, and as we said at the beginning, you know, you went to college for something other than that, <laughs> never right. contemplated right. this kind of leadership. So I'm interested in how that accelerated and And, you know, where you hit the gas the hardest and where the most of your fingerprints and your legacy inside of that organization are left. And then we want to spend some time talking about the IFA side of life because we're both so ensconced in that. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
3: Well, just a, a couple of thoughts as a franchisee, one of the real growth drivers when I was my first from 1977 till 1990 as a franchisee in Bismarck, North Dakota, was that I had the ability to talk to other franchisees. Great franchisor. I have a great franchisor today at Marymaids. Great organization. But you know where I learned the most, Dan, was from other franchisees. Pick up the phone and call somebody and say, how are you dealing with this issue? How are you solving that? How are you gaining customers? That's the power of franchising is the other franchisees. Also, just the competitive nature to see somebody go up on stage and win Franchisee of the Year and say, I can do that. Right. <laughs> so so that's, that's really was a key part of that. And then again, goes back to building long-term relationships. Those, some of those franchisees that, that I got to know when I was a franchisee are brothers today and there's five or six that are still very, very close. As a franchisor, I think the acceleration was because I came from a franchisee background, I had infinite respect for the franchisees. And I always made it very, very clear that my boss was not the board of directors, was not the shareholders of ServiceMaster, which sometimes made my bosses. Uh, most of them got it. Mm -hmm. A couple of them looked at me and said, no, 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 your budget is the boss. Your shareholders are the boss. And I'd say, no, my responsibility is to fulfill the commitments that we made to our franchisees and to innovate and grow the market and listen to the franchisees and hold them accountable. Oh, hold, hold, and the yourself. franchisees held us accountable. Right. Now, we also had to have brand standards. You know, when we had a franchisee that wasn't going to make brand standards, we had to deal with them and change them or get them out. But I think it was the fact that we respected the franchisees. If in our senior organization, if we heard, we had, you know, 350, 400 staff people that were all supporting franchisees. If we heard a new franchise support person talking negatively about a franchise owner and how stupid they were how then they did that, all the negative mm-hmm. no way did you invest to buy into this business mr support manager who just got out of college no this guy or gal did the respect and the empathy for those franchise owners is critically important they put the capital in place right. that's and so i think that that was an environment that we put the franchisee because we could not we cannot get to the customer except through the franchisee. That's the that's the agreement that we made at the beginning.
1: So when you look back on, and I'm I'm marvel again at how you've begun with the end in mind almost, you began as an employee of a franchisee, became a franchisee, went to corporate, became a corporate executive to only in the latter stages of your life, become a franchisee again and and run the whole gamut. I mean, that's an amazing, an amazing journey with Service management. and your life's not over. You're, you're doing so many other things that we want to have time to get into today as well. But before we talk about things that have come since, I want to try to throw down a marker as to where IFA and you first got together I'm certain it was sometime after you got into Memphis and into the corporate side of life. Yeah, to
3: be quite honest with you, Stan, I uh, ServiceMaster had very little involvement in IFA, very little involvement. I looked at my invoice to become a member, that I, my dues that mm-hmm. we paid, that ServiceMaster paid. I looked at that number and I said what do we get for this except for this plaque on the outside of the building that says we're a member of IFA? I thought it was a good seal of housekeeping. So I called Don DeBolt, who was then chairman of IFA at that point, uh, CEO. And uh, Don came out and visited and basically said, uh, here's all the things that IFA does representing the industry. And what caught my attention is that ServiceMaster had a a significant government affairs relationship, our organization, but it was primarily in our pest control industry, it was in our Terminex business, in our uh, lawn care business, in our home and uh, warranty or Marispec uh, 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 business. But we didn't have experts for government relations in franchising. So I saw IFA as an outsourced, government relations organization to protect and enhance franchising and so i looked at the dues that we paid that i was buying that i outsourced that to the experts so then i had the same power as coca-cola as marriott as service master and, and big and small and then as i got involved in ifa getting to know matt shea getting to know a lot of the folks Folks like you, Stan, and and myriads of others, I learned about again the opportunity to
1: learn from fellow franchisors. You know, I tell people and,
3: and suppliers and
1: franchisees. Tell people all the time that if you're looking at IFA from the outside, it's nothing like anything you'll ever see anyplace else. It's not like a chamber of commerce. It's not where Two people in the in similar business aren't going to share with each other at a chamber. They're competing with yeah, each other. Yeah. But like you pointed out, you get on the phone and make those calls and talk to other franchisees, and you find a very giving community of people willing to share. It's unusual for people that don't come from within this world of ours to wrap their heads around yeah,
3: that. You know, you said David McKinnon was with you a couple of weeks yeah. ago. David ran Molly Maids. David actually started as a service master franchisee in Canada. Well and then form Molly Maids. And when David and I had, David owned it, I never owned anything like that, but uh, uh, David and I would talk frequently as competitors. And sure. that's, like you say, that's the great part. But what amazed me, stian is the relationships, again, that I've been able to develop inside of IFA. They're rich. They're, they're great people. Almost all of them. There's a few that
1: aren't. Well, and in life, that's the case anywhere you look, right? But I kind of, the thing I tell people metaphorically is is that all of us, whether we are or disease, or suppliers, once a year when we get together at convention, it's like IFA is the franchisor. And we are all franchisees of IFA. Oh, no, that's right. And we all come together in fellowship, and we all come together in community, and we all come together in sharing and caring and communicating in rooms where you will find CEOs of competitive companies sitting in the same sessions, but we're all franchising. And it's just an amazing, amazing space. So the leadership roles that you've played, I mean, you, um, I remember you as chair in 07, 08. I don't know that I knew a lot of you or about you prior to the exposure that I had to you in leadership as our, as our chairman. Um, tell the audience what that looked like and, and tell those who might aspire to one day work through the chairs and to become involved in leadership in our organization, what that did for you personally, and what kind of legacy it left for others who followed in your leadership.
3: Well, I was fortunate, you know. Once Don challenged me to become involved, I started to attend uh, conferences. I uh, then uh, we had service master had a large international presence in then thirty four different countries around the world, and. Uh, Don asked me to lead uh, the International Committee and that was the first committee that I had an opportunity to chair. Um, And then uh, soon after that uh, was elected to the board of directors and uh, served and then had an opportunity to uh, uh, participate in the board meetings and uh, to work and uh, to help the association. And uh, then uh, Steve Siegel, who was chairman at that time, picked up phone one day and said, would you consider um, entering the chairs? Now, at that time, it was a longer process. I think there were four different steps as you move through secretary, treasurer, first vice chairman, or, uh, and then chairman, and then past chairman. Uh, but again, it was working on some of the government relations, uh, some of the facing parts of franchising that, that really excited me. Uh, again, uh, that is such an important part, and IFA continues to do an outstanding job in that, that whole area. And then uh, uh, as I uh, got compl- had, uh, finished my role as chairman, um, I had an opportunity, as I have before, Doc Cohen talked me into uh, becoming involved in the uh, foundation. And IFA has a, uh, the educational foundation, Um, which is basically a a nonprofit, 501c3, for the educational benefit uh, of franchising. And so I've been involved, and that's where you and I have gotten to know each other, uh, uh, primarily uh, through the activities of uh, that. But, again, a little bit about, okay, I've been blessed uh, both uh, personally and financially. My family's been blessed, and uh, we can give back. Plus, it's fun, and you're always learning from great people within IFA. So um, uh, today I am past chair of the foundation and uh, still uh, stay involved and
1: active. If someone were to say to you that I'd love to get involved but I really don't have time, um, what would you tell them?
3: Well, Well, first I would encourage you to think if you're involved in franchising today and you don't, if you're not involved in the certified franchise executive program, that is a great place to plug in because you'll go and start to attend classes and you'll start to work with other uh, people that are going through the Certified Franchise Executive Program. That builds relationships. Secondly is to get to some of the local franchise activities that are going on. And then our conferences, you know, uh, uh, one conference that, most, that a lot of people overlook is our D.C. Gathering. Uh, the lobbying day it's a smaller environment, and you get to build those relationships and then also just plug in and find out who's chairing the uh, the uh, international committee, who's chairing the franchise relation committee, who's chairing uh, supplier relationships and plug in and say hey I, I'd like to get involved
1: in those uh, activities uh, so that that's how I'd encourage i'm you kind of do. I'm kind of asking this to. you to walk us up to the last segment of our interview today um, and talking a little bit about your consultancy and the the work you're doing today. Um, When somebody would tell me they don't have time, I would almost hear the same thing as I might have heard once when I was still a franchisor from a franchisee who said, okay, I bought the business, now make me rich. Um, I don't have time to do the marketing. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. You don't have anything but the need to do the things that are required for the growth and success of your business. And by giving as you've given um, that year as a chairman, I'm sure it took an awful lot personally from you, but I can't help but believe that a lot of those blessings that have been bestowed upon you came as the result of all of that giving and whatever you gave, you got back tenfold and yeah. more. No, that's, so. ex-
3: that's exactly right. And Stan, I, I think it's more about personal stewardship. Yep. You know, we've been given things, and, you know, i found that the more you give, it, it comes back. And, um, uh, you know, time is, is the most valuable thing, but also it's the people side. I, yeah, it's, it's all about people, and uh, to stay active and stay involved is, is is really an enjoyable
1: piece. I put up our show notes for today's episode, and I talked about Listening Fuels Insight. Insight influences strategy and execution drives success working on what matters most identifying and Prioritizing the issues that will have the greatest impact on your business. That is a handful of words that speak volumes and Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing now with Doug and Jim and and the work that you're doing to help others grow through these sage words
3: well we have a, a, a group that uh, is called insight to execution which basically is is what you've talked about that you you spend some time to gain the insight of that business to find out what are the drivers because you know most of the time it's three or four things that are going to move the ball most significantly inside of that business and so we've had an opportunity uh, to to consult and work with companies across uh, businesses today and uh, and then also use those same concepts I have uh, that are members of three or four different franchise boards and to use that ability to serve as a board member to hopefully look for some insights from my experience and also uh, to support and mentor
1: uh, the CEOs that lead these businesses. So how do people get involved with you or you with them? How how are you able to help somebody listening to us today and aspiring franchisor or Hearing all these pearls of wisdom coming from someone like you, they probably think a guy like you is not approachable. Well,
3: yeah, I, I think one of the things I've been fortunate uh, with Dr. Ben Litalian, I've been able to teach an ICFE course, so I get to know some of those folks, but it's mostly by referral. Someone will say, Hey, I you know, work with Mike on this, I work with Doug, or work with Jim on this, call them up, see if they can help. Also, you know, I'm, I'm pretty direct in saying, hey, I can be of help or I can be. You know, I, I know what I bring to a table. And also, uh, uh, just mostly referrals. I'm not aggressively out, you know, trying to hustle right. a bunch of stuff. If someone has a need and it fits uh, with their time and schedule, et cetera,
1: we'll, we'll do it. But so it, where's the sweet spot? What What is it that you... Look for when you look at a company that gives you a call like that, how is it that you determine whether an engagement is a good idea or not
3: well first do they have self- awareness of really what the condition mm-hmm. of the business is what is you know what are some are, are what are some real factors in terms of static business numbers the balance sheet what's the depth what's what are some of those key factors that are going to uh, look at survivability if if it's very clear that there's no chance for survival, I'm not going to be involved, you know, because they need to go and deal with other issues. I think it talks more about their approach to their franchisees. If they see and are committed truly to the franchisees in what they're doing, and that's mostly identified in the top three or four leaders inside of that business? What's the CEO look like? What's the development officer look like? What's the chief marketing officer? What's the CFO? What does she look like? What a What is that marketing individual? And if I sense that there's a, a willingness to work together and build a place that's safe for everybody to be open and exchange concepts and ideas, then I look at that and
1: say, hey, this this looks like a good organization. We didn't talk about it, but I'm I'm kind of thinking as I'm hearing what you're sharing. Um, I've often said that I think it's gotten way too easy for some people to become franchisors, much the same way as it has become too easy for some people to become franchisees. They weren't guided properly, they weren't given um, an exercise to put the left and the right side of their brains into synchronous harmony before reaching a decision. And they maybe, with a mismanaged expectation, step into a world that they thought was gonna be something that it isn't instead of understanding completely that a franchise relationship has responsibilities on both sides of it. On the Zora side, I see that happening of late too much too. I think there are a lot of people who just think, I'll get an FDD, I'll get out there and I'll sell franchises and I'll be rich. Uh, Yeah,
3: and I I think that what what I've seen is with the emergence of the private equity uh, groups into franchising, and private equity likes the business model in that it is a cash generation. Uh, the capital investment typically is at the franchisee level in, in most cases. And I think that to really understand something, you have to have empathy. Now, empathy doesn't mean that you have to go and be a franchisee, right. but you have to have that ability. Uh, you know, I had a boss that would always say, you know, a spreadsheet can hold anything. And today, I think there's too many projections that are made that are just totally uh, uh, fantasy. And uh, so I I, I think that it perhaps becomes too easy because capital is so available today that people can go in and grab these businesses and move forward. But on the flip side, there's some very, very great private equity groups that have done a great job in franchising and the other Built lots of value for
1: franchisees and franchisors. So, Mike, where do you see it all going? You know, it all, for you, it all began with GR and, and government relations, and there's certainly been some interesting years in the, in the rearview mirror. In, in the recent past, uh, this NLRB news that I shared earlier today is, is certainly some good news. What do you see on the horizon?
3: Well, I, I think that as an organization uh, in franchising, we need to amplify what we're doing. As an industry, franchising gives back uh, is a huge example. There's, I think it's closer to a billion dollars a year that franchising puts back into communities by giving back the sponsorship of Little League, uh, you know, Jimmy John's and some of the other organizations that are just giving uh, uh, millions of dollars back into the communities to amplify what franchising does to create wealth. It is the most effective way to generate wealth for individuals. I think about our minority populations, what a way to, to change people's lives. Second is IFA and we're working hard to make it better to how do we improve it through government rules, the LRB ruling, how do we make it better, how we better franchise and then third, how do we support the community that we have in franchising and we do have a great community and so I think it continues on because it is such an, an efficient way to go to the marketplace. Because you have the capital in the hands of an owner that are very, very close to the customer. And then you have a brand and a trademark and a system and IP that is all interconnected as they serve that customer. So I, I think it's very, very uh, exciting. and. Uh, We'll just see this business continue to grow and develop. And uh,
1: So to an emerging franchisor listening to us today, um, I think it's safe bet to say, join the IFA. That's a really good idea. Do it. What other nugget would you give to an emerging zor and suggest if they do nothing else, do this?
3: Well, I, I always think about the strategy that you have to get, create, and keep customers to create, if you will, and retain employees. Then you take that strategy and you have execution. How well do you achieve against those? But the multiplier is the trust in an organization today. And I encourage franchisors uh, emerging to think about what's the strategy to get and keep customers, to get and keep employees, and then how do you measure execution? You know, what are the scorecards? How do you perform against that strategy? But it has to be in an environment of trust. And if you have negative trust, you multiply it against the negative and the thing goes so, so fast. But if you have trust within an organization, and that's a feely, touchy kind of thing, but trust is following through in the agreement. It's the respect, it's the empathy as you go forward. I think another thing that I'd encourage a, a, a franchise, a, a, a beginning franchisor, is today we as franchisors need to come in and have that positive leadership development. You know, we need to walk into a room and and command the room, but we can't demand the room. Hmm. Our franchisees expect that we will give leadership, but we also need to make sure that as we walk in that we do not become so self-egotistical that we have to demand the room and everyone pays homage to us. And I have seen franchisors today that become successful and they walk in, they command the room, but they also demand the room. And in that demanding, franchisees lose trust and respect. So uh, it's a great system, and I've just been so blessed to uh, be a part of franchising and uh, certainly would have never, ever guessed. uh, But for me, it's uh, God's grace. He's led us through all kinds of opportunities, and I'm just very thankful.
1: Well, as are we who know you, um, because you do give back, and you give back freely and, and openly and transparently. And all of those are really good things to build the kind of trust that you're talking about in franchised relationships. Before I ask you to tell the audience how they can find you again and get in touch with you again, um, are there any questions, Mike, that I should have asked them that I didn't? Uh, uh,
3: Stan, uh, Stan, not really. This has just been a, uh, a great chance. Uh, again, i just uh, you know just very thankful to those that have taken an interest in me in my family and um, just uh, this is, a, it's, it's been great, great fun. Um, no,
1: no, no other questions. Well, then in the time we have left, tell the audience how they can find you and get in touch with you or learn more about what it is you're doing that could be beneficial to them.
3: Well, probably the best way, Stan, is just to shoot me an email at Isaacson M at gmail.com is I S a
1: K S O N M at gmail. One more time. I S a K S O N M at gmail.com. That's right. That's exactly right.
3: I don't even have my own little, uh, I should have a a
1: fancy email address, but it's part of what makes you Mike, Mike, that you don't, and you know that you're as humble as you are and have so much to give, um, and you don't need the labels. Those of us who know you know who you are, and we appreciate you every minute of every day. Great, Stan. And thank thank you. you for being here and for sharing some of your pearls of wisdom with the audience today on Franchise Today. Until next Wednesday, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out.